0: What is the strangest thing you have ever heard a pastor say from the pulpit? I'll go first. The royal wedding will look like a birthday party in a closet compared to the wedding feast between Jesus and his bride. Welcome to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and I would like to put out a formal apologies. Apologies, everybody. Sorry. So if you missed the post, yeah, there wasn't a new episode on Saturday, and it's because uh, my new producer, you may have known, his name is Cooper, Uh, he was quite fussy that morning, and so long and the short of it is, gonna have to change up when I start recording. So this is a makeup episode that's what we're doing here today. Just a little bit of a sorry I'm late. How about a sermon? Will you take a sermon? How's that sound? Uh, Sit back and relax. You can listen to this sermon I preached a few weeks ago on Colossians chapter 3 verses 18 all the way to chapter 4 verse 1, and I explain why I go to chapter 4 verse 1 in this episode. But yeah, Cooper was uh, not having it Saturday morning, so. Pushing back the book review to this coming Saturday, so enjoy this spur-of-the-moment bonus episode. I I couldn't even get to my laptop long enough to produce this, or produce this, literally this, on Saturday. That was the backup plan. Couldn't even get to do that because he was just, he was a a fussy little boy, and then that night Claire and I went out cooper-free, which was honestly quite nice. But yeah, drop down into the comments to let me know what is the weirdest thing that you've ever heard a pastor say from the pulpit. I don't know if I've ever said anything that strange. But yeah, sit back and enjoy today's sermon. So we had a kid. Um, <laughs> that wasn't even on the table last time I saw you all. Um we have a kid and so Claire and I we've been married now it's we're just shy of 4 years and our family is growing but we've been we've been married now just shy of 4 years in September and you know we value in our relationship together we definitely value growing growing closer together growing together as a couple and wanting to have as healthy of a relationship as we can And so during our short time together as a married couple, we have read a handful of books on marriage. And I gotta say, not my cup of tea. (laughs) Books on marriage. Already an amen. All right, this one. (laughs) Yes. Books on marriage. Not really my cup of tea. And now I have to start reading parenting books. the problem, the thing is, Claire and I, we both like reading. We do enjoy reading. We're always reading books. We are constantly reading books. The thing is, though, especially when it comes to books uh, written by Christians on marriage, they're not good. They're not, that, they're just not that good. If I, I don't know if you've ever read one. If you have never read one, keep it up. But I, I haven't read them all. I haven't read all of them. I I can't vouch for all of them. But generally speaking, I could simplify all of them down to this, okay? So I'm going to save you a lot of time on reading, okay? So basically, it's this. Husbands, know something about your wife. Anything. Literally anything. Her favorite color, her favorite flowers, what she had for breakfast that morning. And make sure she knows you know that thing. (laughs) Wives, your husband's a doofus, but you should still love him like Jesus loves him. That's it. That's the whole book over and over again, over and over again. No matter what the book is. And it's hard, it's hard for me because as many of you know, we've been doing this for a while now, I have a heart for ministry. And although I can't be the most well-read person in the world Not only do I want our relationship to be healthy and growing, but I want to read books so that way when people come to me and say, hey, do you have a recommendation on fill in the blank? I have something. I still got nothing on marriage books. Like they're just, because I don't, this, that's not good advice. It's not. Husbands, you can do better than one thing. And wives, we shouldn't reduce you down to, hey, sorry, your husband's lousy, good luck with that. Like it should be, there should be more. And I read these books and the cover says millions of copies sold and thousands of marriages saved. I'm like, how, how, how? So when you're a guy who hasn't even been married for four years yet, and you want to talk about marriage, it is so much better to stand upon the authoritative word of God than the voice of Gary Chapman. So if you have, (laughs) I don't usually take shots, but if you have a copy of God's word there, either in paper form or digitally, I prefer paper because I can hear you ruffle the pages, turn to Colossians chapter three. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 18, And going all the way to chapter 4, verse 1, why the guys who decided how to chapter and verse the books of the Bible, why they decided not to include chapter 4, verse 1 with the rest of it when it definitely belongs, I don't know. I'm just a guy from the Midwest. But it belongs there, so we're going to read that one as well. As you turn turn over to there, Colossians is a very short epistle by Paul, and it's one of the ones that fall in the category more of a positive letter, as opposed to, like, First and Second Corinthians when Paul is doing major damage control. Colossians is a bit of a lighter letter. You can definitely read it this afternoon. You're not going to go outside and mow, so you might as well. The big point of the book of Colossians is found in chapter 1, Found in chapter 1, when Paul starts talking about the preeminence of Christ in everything. Now, it's a big word that means that Jesus is head over everything. He is the fountain of creation. He is the fountain of life for us now as believers. He is over everything. And honestly, we could close the book and call it a Sunday there. But Paul continues on to then talk about in chapter 2 and the bulk of chapter 3 that As believers, with Christ as the head of us, we need to make sure that we're not letting anything get in our way of our walk with Jesus, whether that is the law or tradition or sin. We need to lay those aside so we can walk with Jesus. And just before this section that we're going to read here in a moment, Paul starts talking about, okay, when you put these things aside and you walk with Jesus, this is what walking with Jesus looks like. And he talks about things like loving one another. He talks about things like peace, thankfulness, having a desire to study God's word. That is what walking with Jesus looks like. These are general virtues for all of the, for all of the church, for all believers. You Colossians, love one another. Have a hunger for God's word. Be at peace. And now, Paul is going to move into a completely different section. Really, the tone sounds completely different. Hopefully, you're there now. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward for Excuse me. As your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter four, verse one. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this morning. So Paul has moved from the previous section talking about general virtues of what walking with Jesus looks like for everybody. He now moves into this section where he is going to pinpoint six very specific groups of people and how they can walk with Jesus. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, slaves, servants depends on what translation you're reading, and masters, those who would be owning those slaves. Now, what's unique about this for us as modern-day Christians is that for the most part, those first four are timeless. Wives, husbands, children, fathers. We still have that. My wife and child just left the room. We still have these things. I would be the husband and father part, just to clarify. (laughs) So for us, at least this first part is going to be very timeless. These are things that we can still read and apply. Now, for these last two, we have to, as one of my textbooks wrote, we have to cross the principalizing bridge, meaning that we don't have slaves, we don't have slave masters, There is still slavery that takes place in this country, in the world, looking at it in the form of human trafficking, but that's kind of like comparing apples to bricks. We're not even doing apples to oranges. We're talking about apples and bricks at this point. So we do have to cross the bridge here for what Paul is talking about, and instead of talking about it in light of slaves and masters, we have to look at it in terms of workers and managers that type of business leaders type of thing. We are going to talk about slavery. We are going to talk about masters, but we do have to principalize how we're going to apply that to a modern day sense. Make sense? Cool. I've always appreciated preaching here because you all talk back. (laughs) Seriously, I go to other places and it's crickets. At least I know you people are listening and I appreciate that. I always have, or at least laughing at me. So let's just run this down. Let's just run this down. And unfortunately, we have to start in a place that is a little rough. Wives. Husbands, don't tune me out. You still need to listen. But like the Apostle Paul here, for the next few moments, I'm directing my attention specifically to the wives. Wives. Be submissive. I am a man, and I am a husband. So I do not know this from personal experience. I know this from secondhand testimonies that throughout the history of this throughout the history of Christianity, even to this day, in churches meeting right now, that word in many places has been used and abused to hurt and manipulate you. I know that. And people go back and forth on this next part, but personally, I want to say, if that is you and you have experienced that, I am sorry. Because my guess is the way that that verse has been used and directed towards you in the past is not at all what Paul meant here. Now, you can think of me as one of those darn liberal theologians at this point when I said that I got into the Greek harder than I usually do because I wanted to stand here this morning and tell you wives that for all these years that word is wrong and that actually it's you can be as domineering as you want over your husband I really I truly wanted to stand here and tell you that think of me what you will there But what it comes back every time as you dig into even the original languages is that the best word there is submission. What is interesting, though, and I think this is often overlooked, is that in the nuance of the language, it reads more like choose to be submissive. Whereas Paul sounds like he's saying, all right, be submissive, go do the thing. There is an element of choice there. And not only is there an element of choice, let's look at it again slowly. Wives, submit to your husband. Because oftentimes this word, this idea, is used to say, okay, you have to submit to literally every male who tells you to do a thing. Here, Paul is saying, submit to your husband, to your husband. Other translations do it a little bit more woodenly, your own husband, very possessive here. Choose to be submissive to your own husband as it is fitting to the Lord. This is a phrase people kind of go back and forth on what this exactly means. Basically, what Paul is trying to say here is you are choosing to be submissive to your husband to glorify God as your husband, is fitting and glorifying God. You're not just supposed to, whatever he says, whatever he expects of you, just do it. You are choosing as he is following the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't deal harshly with them. I find it fascinating that whenever we have this talk, whenever we talk about marriage, Usually, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's verses 22 through 24, I believe. You can fact check me on that later. Please always fact check me. And we usually go to that passage, because that's the one where Paul talks more to the church in Ephesus about how the husband is the head of the house, kind of like how Christ is the head of the church, and the wife is the, like the church in submission to Christ, We usually go there, and those are all true statements, very visual statements that we can maybe picture better of church and Christ. What's interesting, though, is that when you come here to Colossians, there's a little bit of substance given to that, because to us, husbands, we are told what? To love and not deal harshly. I think a lot of times when we when churches or these books are written, and we we all we start with the submission part, and then we move to the husbands, and it's like, you're the head of the household. Like, okay, this is going to be an old example, but it's one of the ones that works for me. My mom loved the TV show Honeymooners and... Jackie Gleason would come home and be like, I'm the king of the household. And when the king comes in, he he expects his food and his slippers and his robe and all this. And then his wife would just roll his eyes and throw a cold plate of food at at him. Husbands are to love their wives and not deal harshly with them. So just because Paul writes, You are the head. Of the household. Just because Paul is calling the wives to choose to be submissive doesn't give you permission to be a jerk. And that's what often gets lost here. And trust me, husbands who are in the room looking at the guy who's only been married for less than four years, this was still a hard pill for me to swallow as I was getting into the text. Because we don't, we deal with sin. And so sometimes, even though a wife should be choosing to be submissive, she doesn't. And sometimes, as a husband, even though I know that I'm called to love and not deal harshly, I lose my temper. and That's not the way that God has designed the household to look. That word love isn't, you know... If you've been in church long enough, you you know that in the Greek, there are four different words for love, and they all kind of mean something different. This is agape. This isn't just brotherly love or romantic love. This is agape. This is the divine love that we can only give to others when we are openly receiving it from God to give to others. So husbands, this isn't just you showing up with flowers because you had that big fight again last night, so you show up with flowers the next day. No, this is a divine, deep, loving kindness that you have towards your wife. This is more than just knowing the right answers. This is a huge call for husbands to step up. When we actually look at the text of Scripture scripture correctly. It's on us, guys. And trust me, it's just going to get piled on here in two more people with two more verses. We always want to make it about women, wives, be submissive, be submissive now. Guys, this starts with us. Yeah, we're the second verse in this paragraph, but it starts with us. Because imagine a household where husbands, we are loving we don't deal harshly with our wives. Wives, help me out here. Will it be easier to be choosing to be submissive to your husband in that environment when he is pursuing God and loving you? Yes. And husbands, when your wife is choosing to be submissive, ain't it going to be easier to not deal harshly? Ooh. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, again, it's hard because it's on us. Well, I don't like that. Well, you're the head of the household, remember? Children. Now I think most of them left the room. By the way, love this. Having a that's great. Working on, I don't know if Bradley's in the room right now, I'll tell him later. Having training up kids already to be a part of worship. That's amazing. Children. Obey your parents. And all the parents said amen. Like, this is, this is so baseline, right? This is what we want. I, I can finally say we. This is what we want. Just, just obey. Just do what I say. It is still fascinating, though, because we are no longer under the law in Christ Jesus, correct? Correct. Correct we are no longer under the law and i have been in bible study situations where discussions come up and somebody will quote a verse out of the law whether it's something out of the ten commandments or exodus or deuteronomy whatever someone will bring up leviticus whatever because they know the bible that well and someone else will say well hold on that's part of the law so that's not a real that's not a real answer to this this discussion we're not under the law anymore what is fascinating is that Even in the New Testament, two believers who are no longer under the law, Galatians 6.1, we are free in Jesus Christ, children are still called to obey their parents, just like it says in the law. Just like it says in the law. Some things don't change. It's This is a blanket statement that can't be said towards all of the law, but it's almost like parts of the law are just good, moral, virtue things to do, like being obedient to your parents. Husbands, fathers, hey, some of you are right back in the conversation. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Pull back a little bit. Wives, be submissive to your own husband. Children, obey your parents. Husbands, be loving towards your wife and don't be harsh. Fathers, which for many people, still talking to the same person, don't provoke your children. Isn't it interesting that in a household, where the husband, father, is pursuing God as the head of the household should. He is giving loving kindness. He is not dealing harshly. He is not provoking his children. And the wife and the children are submissive and obedient. These things are going together. Is my point here. The children and the wives fulfill a similar role in the household just as the father-husband fulfills a similar role in the household. Ultimately, for us as husbands and as fathers, we have the place to be loving, to be kind, to be gentle, to not deal harshly. All these words that for many of us as men, we have been, we have been, told to not act that way, whether it's by culture or by church culture, that we are supposed to be these tough, rugged men. The Bible is actually calling us to be kind, to be loving, to be gentle towards our spouse and towards our children. And to, our, and to the wives and to the children, they are called to humbly submit themselves to the Father And husband. But how does this look like walking with Jesus? Other than, okay, everyone's got a part. Wives, in the Garden of Gethsemane, moments before being taken to be crucified, Jesus prayed, Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father. That is a way that you can walk like Jesus. Husbands, we're to love and to not deal harshly. Did Jesus deal harshly with his disciples? He called them out on some things. Let's not forget that he did call Peter, you know, tell Peter to get behind him, Satan. Peter deserved it. But also, even earlier in that night when they were celebrating the Passover, who got the bowl and the towel and started washing everyone's feet? Jesus did. Because being the head of the household doesn't mean that you get to dictate everything. Being the head of the household means that you put the needs of others before yourself. You show them that loving kindness that they may not deserve. And Jesus, as a, as a revered traveling rabbi with his own disciples, they should have been on their knees instantly washing his feet. And he was the one who washed his disciples' feet. Children, be obedient. Again, Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Though Jesus called out his disciples for times when they missed the mark, he never was trying to get them riled up and angry at him. Jesus is flowing through all of this. We move now into our last two, bond servants, slaves, servants, and masters. Now, if you put on your Bible detective hat for a moment and you just reflect on this passage, you can start singing one of these things as not like the others. Because wives, husbands, children, fathers, and masters all have one verse. You get one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. Slaves... What do they get? What do they got there? One, two, three, four verses? They have several verses dedicated to just this one group. Why is that? What makes that so different? Now, at first glance, we might be able to say, well, it's not like it's an easy role to fill. And Paul is really meeting them where they're at. And I think that is part of the answer. I think Paul is spending a little bit more time with this on purpose. But also, this isn't the first time Paul has had to deal with the topic of slavery with the church in Colossae. There's this itty-bitty epistle that we often blow right past called Philemon. Philemon was a Christian man in Colossae who had a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away to Paul. And Paul led him to Christ. And then he sent him back to Philemon with a letter that told Philemon, you need to accept him back. And more than that, accept him back as a brother in Jesus. So Paul is aware of a situation here in Colossae. It's not like Paul is just picking six random things. All right, uh, say something about wives. Let's say something about children. And, uh, you know, let's talk about slaves too, whatever. Let's talk about bond service. Like, Paul is intentional here. He's aware of a larger situation here in the church of Colossae, here in the land of Colossae. And to these people, he says, I know it's hard, but you need to work hard, not just for your master, but because you have a greater master that you are serving now. Paul is trying to help these bondservant believers in Christ to see beyond where they're at right now, that they can glorify God with their work even in the situation that they are in. And like I said, we do have to cross a bit of a principalizing bridge here. But for many of us who have worked as teachers, in retail, as electricians, whatever your profession may have been for all these years, how easy is it to get into the mindset of, I'm just working for a paycheck. I'm just working to pay the bills. I hate this job. I don't like what I'm doing. I'm just here to pass the time until something better comes along. Till something better paying comes along. When I was working at when I was working in retail, I heard that so much. We had high turnover and a lot of it was because there was these people coming through who just I'm just working until the next better paying job comes along. For us as believers, working Minimum wage, lower than minimum wage jobs, whatever your job may be, we need to see beyond working for the paycheck. Working, it says here, not being eye pleasers, meaning that you're just trying to, you know, like do a really good job so that way you're in the you're in good graces with your boss all of the time. Like, hey, you know, Brown knows it. You know what I mean. Paul is encouraging them, see beyond that. He's encouraging us as workers, see beyond that. See beyond just trying to make your boss happy. See beyond just working for a paycheck. Nobody likes working in fast food. Slavery is even worse. Don't laugh at that. That's a true statement. It is hard. It is difficult. And especially right now with gas prices and everything going up, it is hard Many people are barely making ends meet. Is a mentality that we need to get into, that we are working not just for the paycheck. We are working to glorify God in every task that we are doing. Yeah. And then Paul closes out, well, he opens chapter 4 and closes out this section by coming to the masters now. And he says something very interesting. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Again, he's talking to Christian slave owners. Now, back that train up for a second. Much like how back at the beginning we had this little discourse about how submission has been used and weaponized against many women throughout the history of Christianity, this passage of scripture, do I have to spell this one out for you? This passage of scripture used to be weaponized to justify slavery in our country. Paul is not advocating for this. And again, if you have been in church for a long period of time, you may know that the slavery that we had here in our country is different from what Paul is talking about here with bondservants. Either way, human beings are being owned by other human beings, and that's not okay. But this is the unfortunate reality of the situation. Unfortunate And Paul is addressing it, that there are Christian slaves and Christian slave owners. And he tells them, he tells these masters, treat them well, be good to your slaves. And he doesn't make a difference there. He's not saying treat the Christian ones well. He is saying, treat them well, take care of them. Why? knowing that you have a master in heaven. Again, Paul is trying to move the masters beyond the, the plane of right now into a higher mentality of the buck doesn't stop with you. Authority doesn't stop with you. You have a higher master in heaven. And if we pull back again, isn't it interesting? Wives, be submissive. Children, be obedient. Slaves, Work hard. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Masters, treat your slaves well. And just like for us as husbands and as fathers, we're the head of the household as Jesus is the head of us. Remember, Paul just got done talking about in chapter one the preeminence of Christ in everything. For husbands, for fathers, for masters, the buck doesn't stop with us. There is a higher master. That's a word we don't use to talk about God very often. A higher master. Abba, Father. Oh, we like talking about God as Father. We like talking about the merciful, loving Savior, Jesus, but master. God is our master, but he is a good master. For us to follow. And again, crossing this principalizing bridge, if you're a manager, if you're a leader in a business, if you're a business owner, how are you treating your employees? It really bothers me that there are Christian businesses in this area who treat their employees so badly. They're not paying them well. They're not giving them vacation time. They're not helping them take care of their families. And that is wrong. Says so right there. As leaders in business, as leaders in the home, we need to put the needs of our family, of our employees, first. And yes, it gets complicated because bottom line and Keeping the lights on and blah, blah, blah. I know I'm making it a little bit too simple here. But first and foremost, you walk with Jesus as a leader in your business environment. You walk with Jesus by caring about the people and not treating them like a dime a dozen. And we need that right now, especially, especially with how things are right now with inflation and the gas and the blah, blah, blah. I paid 460 something and I thought I was rolling around in the dough again. Like <laughs> wives choose to be submissive. Husbands show love and kindness to your wife. Children be obedient. Husbands don't provoke. Workers work hard to glorify God rather than just for the paycheck. Leaders in business care about your employees. Because when we do these things, the household then becomes a united front. Businesses become a united front to bring the kingdom of God here. Does that look like the world? When a Christian household is living that way, does that look like the rest of the world? When businesses are running that way, when workers are working that way, does that look like how the rest of the world works? No, because God has called us something greater. Our master has called us to live a certain way. And when we follow in his footsteps, when we walk with Jesus in these ways, the kingdom of God advances. Let's pray. Once again, thank you all for listening to today's episode. And once again, sorry. But that means that this coming saturday you got two episodes this week that's kind of cool this coming saturday is the aforementioned book review of creative bible teaching and trust me it's going to be a good conversation so be looking forward to that if you want to hear the sermon i had to preach a lot of sermons right now but that makes sense given the fact that we're in communication in ministry talking about preaching and teaching if you want to hear the sermon that i had to preach for this class specifically you can head on back to last week's episode and give that one a listen to. And as always, I would love if you would take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you're listening to it at. Or more importantly to me, I would love it if you use the power of word of mouth. People power, people. People power. Uh, Use that people power and tell somebody you know about the show, especially if you think that they will be encouraged inspired challenged whatever it may be talking about family and marriage and work life what does that look like from god's perspective it's definitely something as i said in this message something that a majority of christians can somewhere find themselves in this discussion so please recommend the show to somebody that you know as always, you can go down, go down to the description of this episode to find links to the website, the shop, where we have new ladies merch. Hey, ladies. Got some ladies merch for you. That is, got the stamp of approval from my wife. These are designs uh, inspired by Claire and serves as a reminder to me. That one of the many purposes of this show is not only to encourage you to keep on studying. That's not the end of the episode, but that is definitely one of the points of this show. But the other big point of this show is to let everyone know that theology is for everyone. It is not an engendered, elitist thing. The study of God, the desire to know God intimately, whether that's intellectually, experientially, both, honestly, that is for everybody. So, we got a couple items with that on there phone case, t shirts. Uh, come check it out. And you can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at my seminary life pod and contact the show email seminarylife at gmail.com where you can complain about things or tell me nice stuff, whichever you prefer. And that is it. Sorry. Thank you for dropping in. I love you all. And remember, keep on studying.